his elementary education, I had the privilege of serving as his principal. And we have on the platform Terry Lee, who was his teacher. He is surrounded by a cloud of witnesses today. I had the wonderful privilege of traveling with him. He was in the same class as my daughter. We went on a mission trip to Guatemala and helped with the building of a church school there in Guatemala. Shared many wonderful experiences together growing up, and I am so thankful that he is a fellow colleague in the ministry for Jesus Christ today. When Richie left his academy years, sadly his life took a turn where he spent years battling drug addiction and it was a detour in his life. But I am so grateful to God this Sabbath morning that Richie is here. Amen. And that God rescued him from that life through a powerful conversion experience. And years later, when I was serving as the Vice President for the Gulf States Conference, I had the privilege of welcoming Richie into his first district as a pastor. And he became my pastor. So I'm glad I was a good principal to him. <laughs> In those years, while he was serving as the pastor, his wife, Brittany, served as my secretary. And she was a blessing to my ministry. They have uh, been married for 21 years together. And she's traveled with him through all of the challenges and struggles, and they're together as a husband and wife still. And I praise God for that. They have beautiful, four beautiful children, Caleb and Haley and Tristan and Taylor. And today, I am so thankful that he is our primary speaker for our Low Country Camp Meeting. It has been our custom to have a prayer of blessing upon each speaker at camp meeting before they open God's word to us. And so I'm going to invite Pastor Richie to come up here and join me as we pray over his message to you today. Stand up. That's the title of his message. And uh, when we are finished praying, it has been customary at camp meeting that we pray not only for him, but we pray for ourselves that the spirit of the living God will fall afresh on each one of us, that our hearts will be receptive to the message that he will share from God's word to each of us today. So when we are finished with that prayer, join me as we sing that song, Spirit of the Living God, Fall Afresh on Me. Amen. Gracious God and Father in heaven, what a joyous privilege it is for me to stand here beside my friend and colleague, Pastor Richie Halverson. Together we have both dedicated our lives to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today as he talks about the message from your word entitled, Stand Up, I pray that you will embrace him with the power and presence of your spirit. And Father, 
we not only pray for him, we pray that our hearts will be receptive to that as we sing this song of prayer to you this Sabbath morning. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me and fill me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. Well, it is such a blessing and honor to be able to be with you and to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen? Amen. And what a blessing the worship has been uh, this far. Uh, I tell you, it's a little intimidating being up here with my former principal and 7th and 8th grade teacher. I, I, when we were back there, I, I, wasn't, I didn't see Terry at first, and then I looked up, and I saw him right in front of me, and I said, hey, that's, that's Terry Lee, and I was expecting my high school principal to pop up, and, and, and my teachers to pop up, but praise the Lord, it's a blessing to be with you, and the good news, all of that work was not wasted. Uh, hallelujah, we serve a God of miracles. So it is a great uh, privilege to be able to be with you today and to share a couple of messages from the Word of God. Uh, we serve a God of miracles, and I know God worked a miracle in my life, and, uh, and a lot of individuals here played a very important role in that, and I, I praise God for placing them in, in my life. Uh, this morning, I, I am going to share my testimony or a snapshot of my testimony. Uh, I, am, I am passionate about addiction and recovery, and I feel like we have to really equip our churches and teach our churches to be ready to receive people who have been beat up from the floor up from addiction and to be a safe place where people can come and they can recover. We serve a God who can help us recover. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that story. I share it a lot. Uh, I did want to share with you uh, that uh, I have... Pacific Press has published my story. It's not available yet, but uh, I, it will be available here this fall. And uh, if you know someone who struggles with addiction, or you yourself struggle with addiction, or you are a pastor of a church or a leader in your church of people that struggle with addiction, this is a resource for them. Uh, this is a resource for you because the, the reality is we are all either related to, we are all either addicts, related to addicts, or we know some addicts. And so uh, it's just a vital thing that we need to share. And, and I know it's something that the devil has used to try to take people out. And I know he tried to take me out with that. So let's get into the word of prayer. Amen. Father, I just thank you and and praise you for the awesome God that you are. I thank you for being here today and, and for the opportunity we have to dig into your word. Lord, I pray that you would be lifted up. 
I pray that you would be magnified. I pray that each person here might encounter your gospel in a, in a more real and tangible way. That we will leave here as new people because we have been with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. My subject is stand up. Stand up. One day I was reading in my Bible study, I was studying the book of Acts, and a lot of what I'll be sharing today is drawn from the book of Acts. And so I was reading through Acts, and, and this passage just jumped out at me and, and grabbed me. It's what we heard for our scripture reading. In Acts 1.15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Um, and then we read it again in, in Acts 2.14. It says, But Peter standing with the eleven. Now what's so significant about Peter standing, you're thinking? Well, it's significant because Peter was always the guy falling. Peter was always the guy put it. You know, I can relate to Peter. You know, big mouth, small brain. <laughs> I can relate to Peter. Uh, he, he was always the one falling, but now something's happened to him to where now he's standing. I mean, Peter, throughout his ministry, he was constantly failing and falling. In Matthew 26, 40, it says Jesus came to the disciples and found them sleeping. That's Peter. Matthew 14, 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. That's Peter. Matthew 26, 35. It says that Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Peter was always the guy falling. But then when you get to the book of Acts, something has happened to Peter so that he is no longer falling, but he is standing on the promises of Christ our King. And the thing about Peter that I love is once Peter stood up, he stayed up, and you couldn't get the guy to shut up. Man, I want to get to that point in my Christian faith, amen? I want to get to that place in my Christian faith when once I stand up for God's truth, go on and stay up for God's truth. Stand up for God's Sabbath, stay up for God's Sabbath. Once you stand up for the marriage, stay up for the marriage. Once we stand up for justice, stay up for justice. But too often, our Christian experience is a series of standing ups and sitting back down. Yeah, very often that is kind of our existence, you know. We, we come out to the one-day camp meeting, a low country camp meeting, and we come out, we hear a message, and then we start standing for the gospel, only to go back home and start sitting again. Uh, maybe we went to the, the, the retreat, the marriage retreat, where we, we started to stand up for our marriage and recommitted to that, only to, on the, on the drive back home, start fighting again. But friends, I'm going to challenge you today that once you stand up for Jesus, by the grace of God, stay up. Stand up. The reason it's hard for us to stand up is because we live in a fallen, broken world. 
And it can be hard to, to stand up in a world that is always falling. In Revelation 14.8, it says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The world is fallen. Then in Luke 10.18, we know that all the falling originated back to that original fall. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Just three chapters into the Bible, and Adam and Eve fall. Cain and Abel fail, and, and those before the flood, and those after the flood, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, Peter, John, you name it. The Bible says all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God. We live in a fallen world. Man, this book, really, when you examine this book, this book is a book filled up with the mess-ups of the messed-up. Which means this book was written for your life. God had me in mind when he wrote Scripture. Hallelujah. Jesus loved riffraff. Did you know that? My Savior loved riffraff, he, he, which is good news because I have been riffraff for a lot of my life. Jesus loved the riffraff. I mean, he called the tax collectors and, and the whores and the, and the hillbillies. He, he called the hotheads and the, and the dopeheads and the, and the rednecks and the, the stiffnecks. Hallelujah, Jesus did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. He called us to repentance. You see, friends, this is what I want you to see today. Peter's story is our story. And every single one of us should see ourselves in the story of Peter. Peter is my story, man. I can relate to Peter. And what's amazing about Peter is that Jesus even has the audacity to give Peter a new name. And his new name means rock. I mean, that is the irony of, of Scripture. Peter was everything from a rock. Jesus comes along and he says, you're rock. I'm giving you a new name today. Peter was weak. Peter was compulsive. Peter was constantly putting his foot in his mouth. Paul was the type of guy who would, who would act first and then think about it later. Like Peter, instead of standing, for a significant portion of my life, I was falling. Because you see, I know God had his calling on me since before the day I was born. And let me tell you, when God puts a calling on your life, which all of you have a calling from God as was brought out this morning during our Bible study. But once God puts his calling on you, the devil puts a bullseye on you. And he's going to come after you with everything that he's got. And, and that's what he did to me. Man, I grew up in a good Christian family. I grew up the son of an evangelist. My uncle, I go ahead and tell this up here so that I don't get 50 questions out there if I'm related to Ron Halverson. He's my uncle. So I grew up in that family of evangelists. My uncle was an evangelist and, and his brother, my dad was an evangelist. And I remember going to evangelistic meetings and, and seeing people give their lives to Jesus and, and just being moved by that. And, and, I, and, I, and I grew up wanting to be a preacher like my dad and I wanted to give my life to him. I wanted to see lives change just like I had saw so many lives change. But again, often... When God starts working, the devil will start attacking. 
and that's what started happening. And uh, I made it through GNJA and, and elementary school pretty good. These guys can kind of uh, 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 testify to that. But as I transitioned into high school, the devil really came after me like he does so often with our children and the people that we love and maybe in our own lives. So in my junior year in high school, I just, I started making bad decisions and I, I started hanging, at times hanging out with maybe the group of people that was heading in, in the very same direction as I was going, which wasn't a good direction. I started getting involved in the, in the party scene and it was all about going out every weekend, it was all about having a good time. But you see, what started as only a weekend things, uh, a weekend thing, got to the point where it never stopped, and 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 it, it it just was one time after another. Because for the addict, you know, the drugs and the alcohol seems to put something in them that is missing. But the reality is, the thing that's missing is the, is God in our lives. And so we try to fill it with something else, but this is the thing, nothing else can satisfy you because you are made to be only satisfied by what, what eternity has to give you. And so I kept going deeper into that to the point where, man, I, I barely graduated from Highland Academy, uh, barely graduated. Man, this last year, uh, my, uh, my daughter, she just graduated from high school, from Bass Memorial Academy. And it was so exciting for me as a father. And you know, parents got to brag on their kids. You do it with your kids, so get over it, right? And so I was there and I was so happy. Man, she, she, I was just so proud of her because, you know, I, I knew where I had come from and to see what God was doing in her. And, and, and this, man, my daughter graduated valedictorian. Man, I graduated miracle dictorian. <laughs> it was a miracle. I even walked down the aisle. My daughter had all these, you know, when, when, you, when you're valedictorian, they give you all these cords and medals, and I didn't know how she kept her head up. I was lucky they gave me a robe. We serve a God of miracles, amen? And so I graduated, praise the Lord, but continued on that trajectory and uh, just just six months out of high school and I I had a child on the way my oldest Caleb and my wife and I got married and all of a sudden let me tell you reality came crashing in in a very real way and you know I've discovered something about about that that phrase unplanned pregnancy you know what I've been thinking about that that is that is really a ridiculous thing unplanned pregnancy because I'm pretty sure if you're doing what it takes to get pregnant you shouldn't be surprised when it happens no I would call that a planned pregnancy you were planning for a pregnancy. And so that's where I was. And, and, and I was 19. I was a kid getting ready to have a kid. And, and instead of rising to the occasion and, 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 and kind of stepping up as a father, I kept sinking down into that pit, that miry pit. Uh, my life continued to careen out of control. Uh, we had no place to go. So my wife and I, we moved in with my mother and father-in-law. And you know, that's always a good idea, right? 
And so instead of coming home, I often would find reasons to stay out. I dropped out of college. I started serving in a restaurant. I remember one night early on in my ministry, I'd had some friends come up to me. This was, I had just been married, not long. And uh, I had some friends come up to me and they said, hey, Richie, we're going out afterwards. We'd like you to come. You want to come? And so I was like, yeah, why not? Yeah, I'll come out with you. Um, now, this was before the time of cell phones and, and things like that. And so you, this was the time when you had to walk to an actual physical phone and pick it up and call home. Well, I didn't call home. I didn't tell my wife that I was staying out late. The problem with staying out late is eventually you do have to come home, right? And so I came home and my wife was so kind, she met me at the door. And I was met with a barrage of questions. Where were you? Why didn't you call? How could you be so uh, uh, selfish? How could you not tell me? And I remember thinking, remember I was just married. I remember thinking in that moment, and hallelujah, I didn't say it. I just thought it. I thought to myself, you mean I have to tell you everything? Earth to newlyweds. Everything. <laughs> everything and so it just continued getting worse and worse and, and and the thing about addiction is in the beginning you use the drugs but in the end the drugs are using you what began as a as a as as fun becomes a full-time job of desperation and I started sinking and sinking. And, and the thing is, when you're in active addiction, you come to these different crossroads and, and either you stop using or you sink to a new level and you do something that maybe you never used to do before. And this is the thing about addiction. Addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't care where you came from. It doesn't care what your degree is. It doesn't care about anything like that. It does not discriminate. It comes after everyone. And so as I came to those crossroads, I started sinking into deeper depths and I started doing things that I never would have done, that I was raised to never do. I mean, uh, I, you just, you reach that point of desperation. And so I, I could, since I couldn't stop using, I, I, I began participating in illegal behavior. I got away with it for a little while. But you know what? I've discovered something. You always eventually get caught. You know, you, you do the crime, you better be prepared to do the what? Time. You know it. And so uh, I, I remember the first time I ever got arrested and I was, uh, it was in, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee and uh, I, was, I, was in a, I was at a Kmart. You know, the, the worst place to get arrested was in a Kmart. I didn't want people to know I was in Kmart, let alone handcuffed in Kmart. And so I'm leaving the, the Kmart and the police pull up four squad cars in the front and I quickly made an about face and started going back into the store. They jumped out, they grabbed, jumped on me, handcuffed me. They took me back to the pharmacy and, and they identified me and then they, they, they took me away and put me in the car and, 
and took me down to, to the station down in Nashville. And I remember thinking when I got in there, man, my life is all over. Richie, what have you done to your life? It's over. You are doomed. Now you've been arrested. You'll never be able to do this. You'll never be able to do that. And the devil really came after me. I called my sister to bail me out. I knew better than to call my wife to bail me out. I called my sister to bail me out and she comes and I remember seeing her with tears in her eyes getting me out and, and uh, her and my, my brother-in-law and so they, they picked me up and I kept trying to talk to them and tell them I need to get my car and I had some things I had to go to and April and, and, and Ben, my brother-in-law and my sister said, no, Richie, you're going to come home with us. You don't want to go back out there. And, and you know, as, as addicts do, the manipulation starts and the dishonesty starts. And, and, and so I knew they weren't going to let me go. They weren't going to take me to the car. So the moment they slowed down at a traffic light, I opened the car, I took off. And I started running. And that was my life going right back to the same thing that I had just gotten arrested for. And that was my life for the next few years. For the next few years, I was in and out of jails. I was in and out of treatment centers. Until I was finally living out of my car and, and I was surviving as just kind of a, an animal type of survival. I'll never forget it. It was Christmas time. And I had just been kicked out of the halfway house where I was staying. I was kicked out of there and I had nowhere to go. I, I couldn't go home. My wife wouldn't let me come home and with due reason. And so I was living there out of my car. I couldn't, you know, no one could trust me. My wife couldn't trust me. My family couldn't trust me. Man, I couldn't even trust me. And in the last ditch effort, I talked with my parents and they said, Richie, we'll send you to treatment one last time. But this is it. And, and I know some people here today have been where my parents were. And they were so tired of it. They, were, they, they, they had bankrupted themselves. They had given everything in order to rescue their son who was caught in the grip of addiction. And they said, Richie, this is all we can do. We'll, we'll send you away to treatment one last time. Well, I had just before that conversation talked to the sheriff's department and I had another warrant for my arrest, talked to him over the phone, a warrant for my arrest for prescription fraud, it's a felony charge, I already had multiple felony charges facing me from uh, several different counties and I will never forget this sheriff told me, well you, you may want to wait till after the holidays because Richie you're going to be going away for a very long time. And so when my, my mom offered treatment, you know, I was very quick to take her up on that offer. And so I flew out to Idaho where they were living at the time and, and I went to a treatment center. I didn't want to go back to a treatment center in Nashville. I'd already been to those several times. And, and, and you know, the secret's not in the treatment center. There's no magic treatment centers that's going to get a hold of your child. There's no magic treatment centers that's going to get a hold of your spouse. The key is I was finally ready to stop. I was ready to finally surrender, and so I got out there, tiny little treatment center in Gooding, Idaho. Let me tell you, Gooding, and it's funny because I share this message at camp meetings and stuff, and the last time I shared it at a camp meeting, someone came up to me, because Gooding, Idaho had one traffic light. This, th this place is tiny. You blink and you're through this town. 
And the last time I preached this message, I had someone run up to me and say, I'm from Gooding, Idaho. And so I get there, and, and someone from the treatment center picked me up, and man, tiny little town, and the thing with the addict's brain, it's always thinking of using. You're constantly thinking of, of using, or how to get money to use, or how to get drugs to use. It's a constant, you are bent on it. And so I got into the treatment center. Man, I weigh 220 pounds today. Uh, when I went into treatment the last time, I only weighed 165 pounds. Uh, you could see my ribs. I was, I was a shell of a person. I was broken. Doctor told me as he did a checkup, he just said, it's a miracle that you're not dead. For what you were doing and, and, and your health, it's just a miracle you weren't dead. They, they checked all of, did some tests on my liver and other things, and they said, I can't believe it that you haven't done irreversible damage. And so I remember that first night as there in Gooding, I was starting to go through withdrawals uh, from, the, from, the, from the drugs. And, and as that starts kicking in, often the addict gets desperate. And I started that stinking thinking is what we call it. And I started thinking, okay, how I can get out? How can I leave? How can I go score something and, and give back in? And so no one will know that I'm missing. And my parents' voice went through my head. This is the last time, Richie. And I was like, yeah, but they've said that before. And I, I, I heard my wife's voice in my mind, Richie, I'm done. And I kept hearing these things. And there was a, let me tell you, if you don't believe in the great controversy, my life is an example that there is a great controversy. And so the enemy kept ta talking to me, telling me to go out, sneak out. You can't sneak out of a treatment center. Everything's alarmed and rigged. You go, they know you're gone. And so I, as I was walking towards the door, contemplating, leaving, like I had so many times before, Man, in the, in the loudest voice I've ever heard God speak to me, and may, I don't think it was actually audible, but boy, let me tell you, it was audible in my brain. As I was walking towards the door, God said to me, Richie, if you go out that door, you are going to die. I promise you that. But if you would surrender your life to me, I'm going to use you for my kingdom. And for the first time in a very long time, instead of going out the door, I walked back into my room and I got down on my knees and I surrendered my life. I prayed to God for the first time in, in several years. And I surrendered my life to God. And I didn't look back ever since. We serve a God of miracles. I, I, I went home and, and, you know, even though... God was working in my life, you still got to deal with the consequences. And so I went back home and, and I, I told my wife when I was going to come and I said, Lord, I pray that she'll be there to pick me up. And I didn't know. Uh, and, and sure enough, I get there and there she is with my two oldest kids, babies, young people, young kids at the time waiting for me to pick me up. She picks me up and, and we go back home and I... I did what they told me to do at the treatment center. You know, you, you got to go to meetings. You, you got you to gotta build your walk with God. You can't do this, but God can do it in your life. And so I started going to meetings. And you know what? I use drugs every day. I'm going to need God every day. 
If I was used to conning and manipulating every day, I got to get used to praying and being honest and practicing spiritual principles every day. And so I did that, man. I, 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 I went to recovery like my life depended on it because it did. And that's why when people come and tell me, well, I don't need a meeting every day, or I, I only need one once a week, I always ask them, well, did you use once a week? And so I started going, and, and man, I was so desperate. If I had shown up at those 12-step meetings and they had told me to stand up on my head, I would have stood up on my head. They tell you to get a sponsor, and so that's what I did. After I had been going, and they said, watch people and see someone who's actually walking a walk and talking a talk and find someone who's got something you have. This is good advice for the church. When you get to a church, watch the people and get around people who have something you want to have. Don't hang out with the, there's losers and there's winners everywhere. You got winners in the church and you got losers in the church. Get with the winners. And so I found someone who was working a program. Let me tell you, this guy was a Harley Davidson motorcycle fanatic. He had three Harley Davidson. He had a tattoo everywhere. But man, I saw in him, I saw in him such humility and passion for God. I wanted what he had. So I went up to him. I was a little intimidated by him, but I said, hey, Marvin, would you be my sponsor? And he said, absolutely. Call me every day for the next 30 days and we'll start getting into those steps together. So I had someone, a mentor, who started working with me, working me with these steps that, that have biblical principles like honesty and hope and faith and surrender and started working these things in my life. I had someone who was living and responsible who could hold a job working with me every day. Let me tell you, church, that's what we call discipleship. And we have, we have failed miserably at discipleship. But man, that's where, I, that's where I learned how to disciple people. It wasn't in the church. It was in Narcotics Anonymous. And so people told me I could call them any time of the day if I was going through something. And so we did. We worked that program. And I started putting some time together. I remember the first time I went to court to deal with the four felonies that I had facing me. And as I showed up, because I had a failure to appear, um, I had missed my court date, so they arrested me immediately, took me back to the holding cell. When I got into the holding cell, they had all the prisoners from the, from the jail that they bring over for court. And sitting in there, in the jail, right across from me, was one of my friends from high school that I used to use with. Except that he was there for an accessory to murder charge. Because at his house, someone had pulled a gun, someone had ended up getting shot and killed. What's crazy about that is I had been at his house so many times before, and but by the grace of God that he was there and I was not there. And so I, I sat there just thinking of what could happen. I was, I was brought out. They drug tested me. I was clean. They let me go that day. Let me tell you, the air, the air was never so cleaner and the sky was never so blue than when I walked out of that courtroom that day. You don't know what you have until it's gone. 
And so I, I went back home, and, 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 and over the course of the next couple years of working a program, the judge told me, Richie, you got four felonies for prescription fraud. You know, all of these, this much of a sentence, this is big stuff. And they said, but Richie, if, if you remain clean, and you do this community service, and you, you do this and that, and, and they had several things that I needed to do, we'll group all those felonies together. We'll expunge them from your record. They will be as though they never existed. In that moment, I felt a little bit what the grace of God is like. Let me tell you, you have nothing to fear of the judgment because Christ is your intercessor. Jesus is your attorney and your judge. And he says, just give your life to me and all these felony sins are going to be expunged as though you never did it. And so, hallelujah, I went out that day and I did everything they told me to do. I started going back to church because church was fundamental to my life. And I remember I was still struggling with, with smoking and I still struggled. Let me tell you, you're never done struggling. When you, when you get victory over one thing, God brings you to that next thing he wants to give you victory over. And so I was still struggling with with smoking and stuff. And I remember talking to my dad, who's a minister, and saying, man, dad, I, I feel like I gotta go back to church, and, uh, but I'm still struggling with this, and, and I know better. And you know, in, in the Adventist church, we grow up with this stuff, and, and sometimes we think that the church isn't for the broken. And so I said, man, I don't feel like I can go back to church. My dad said, Richie, if anybody needs to be in church, it's you. Go back to church. And so I did. And I gave, and I, and I continued following God. And you know what? God gave me victory over the cigarettes. God gave me victory over the addiction. He gave me victory over the bad temper. God started working in me in such a powerful way. Let me tell you, we serve a God of miracles. My, my wife and I are going to be celebrating 22 years here in the next few months. I have four... Uh, beautiful kids and two are in college now and and I'm able to see them and we live outside of just near southern there in Cleveland Tennessee and and I get to have them all around me it was the first time in a long time and and God has blessed our relationship let me tell you we have a God that works miracles and so this is why this story really just jumped out at me because I can relate to Peter. When, when Simon first receives his name, Peter, let, let's be honest, Stephen wasn't a rock. When, when Jesus calls Peter rock, he's not a rock. He's the furthest thing from a rock. But this is the thing. The name Simon is derived from the name Simeon. The name Simeon means God has heard. God has heard. So Peter means rock, Simon means God has heard. When you combine the two names together, what it says is, God has heard my prayer for a rock. Check it out, Peter was a prayer request in process. I am a prayer request in progress. Hallelujah, we are all prayer requests in progress. Uh, I hope you know every single person in this room is a prayer request in process. My life is prayer proof that prayer works. My mom, she likes to keep prayer journals, you know, so she can see where God's working in her life. She keeps prayer journals and she's always telling us kids, I got two, two older sisters. She always tells us kids, you know, when, when, I get old, when I pass away, I want you guys to have all these prayer journals. 
And, and to my sisters, she's like, you know, April, Jennifer, you, you know, I've got a few volumes for you. To me, she's like, Richie, I have a whole library for you. She's like, girls, you'll need a couple of hands. Richie, you'll need a U-Haul. <laughs> Hallelujah, man. Prayer works. Prayer works. I'm sure every time Paul, uh, Peter fell, Jesus thought his name is Simon, but that means God has heard my prayer. Peter sinks on the sea. Uh, Jesus, I'm sure, was thinking, uh, uh, Simon means God has heard. Peter cuts off the ear of the high priest. Uh, Jesus is thinking God has heard. When Peter chimed in, we left everything and followed you. What do we get out of it, Jesus? He's still Simon, but Simon means God has heard. Luke 22, 31 through 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan is demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You may not be a rock now, Peter, but I've prayed for you, and Simon means God has heard my prayer for a rock. I wish a few people would shout today. Are you listening? All right. <laughs> so, so this is what I'm getting at. If, if that friend of yours keeps falling, if that husband or spouse of yours keeps struggling, when, that, when that, that parent of yours keeps on falling, the Simons in your life, we all have Simons in our life. Remember that Simon means God has heard. He's heard the prayer. He's working in your life. And as you continue... Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me. Not once, not twice, but three times. This is the thing, friends. Peter sincerely wanted to stand. People sincerely want to live a better life. You know what? Peter wanted to stand, but Peter just lacked the power. In Luke twenty-two fifty-four, it says that Peter followed Jesus at a distance. You want to stand up consistently in your Christian faith, you got to quit keeping Jesus at a distance. Because when you keep Jesus at a distance, it will always eventually turn into a denial of Christ. And Peter said to him, Peter said that, man, I do not know what you are talking about. I do not know him. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. But hallelujah, Simon Peter means God has heard my prayer for a rock. In John 14, 1 through 3. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Man, that is a Seventh-day Adventist text, if there ever was one. Are you homesick for heaven? This is one of the most beautiful promises that Jesus gives. But I, I never really understood this text until recently. Man, I grew up with this text. I, I, this was the first text I ever memorized. 
And But not until recently did I discover really the power of this text. I was reading through a, a Bible set, a new Bible set that I had purchased called Bibliotheca. And what the people at Bibliotheca did is they removed all of the chapter and verse demarcation. Because you know in the original languages there was no chapter and verse demarcation. And so they removed this because, you see, the Bible wasn't meant to be read as a collection of verses, but rather as one large sweeping story. Chapter and verses are great for study. They're great for reference. They're great for that. But they can cause us to miss the big picture because what it is ingrained in our minds to do is we read a chapter and then we stop. But the problem with that is very often the idea does not stop where the chapter stops. No, the chapter and verses were not there in that original. And John 14 is so much more powerful when you don't isolate that verse and you read it in its proper context. When you realize that Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled, right after, right after he tells Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And when, you've con when, you, when, when you see that, we usually miss the connection because the let not your heart be troubled begins a new chapter and we've conditioned ourselves to, to stop at the chapter and then start the new chapter like it's a new thought. But that's not a new thought. Jesus doesn't stop talking. And so this is how we should read it. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And the very next words out of Jesus' mouth are, let not your heart be troubled. Jesus has just told his number one disciple, you are going to fail me. But he immediately follows that up. I'm not going to fail you. Peter, you're going to fall. I'm not going to fall. Peter, you're going to mess up, but I'm not going to be messed. I'm not going to mess up. Jesus has, has just told this to a, to a fisherman who can't keep his feet out of his mouth. Which means Jesus didn't say, let not your heart be troubled to a bunch of well-adjusted Seventh-day Adventists. He gives this promise to broken people. Peter is a denier. He's a coward. James and John, they got terrible tempers. Matthew was, a, was an embezzler. Simon the Zealot, Zealot meant they were terrorists. Thomas had terrible trust issues. Nathaniel was a racist. You see, Jesus didn't say he was going to prepare a place for people who deserved a place. Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for broken, messed up people. Which means heaven is open for you. And, and often we present this like, like, like we, we deserve heaven. Ain't no one deserves heaven. And it gives me hope because just the fact that Jesus said he was going to prepare a place for me is proof that Jesus believes that Richie Halverson can make it. And that is what makes Acts 1.15 so significant. In those days, Peter stood up. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Peter is standing up. Peter was always falling, but now he's standing, which gives me hope that although my family member is drinking today, they can be sober tomorrow.
That though you battle that sin today, you can have victory tomorrow. You may be lonely today, you're going to be comforted tomorrow. You may be hurting today, you're going to be consoled tomorrow. I might have fell yesterday, I can start standing, hallelujah, today. Peter's proof. In Acts 1.13, it says they went up to Jerusalem. They went up to the upper room where they were staying. Acts 1.14 says they were of one accord. We're going to talk about that a little bit more detail this afternoon. But you know why they were finally of one accord? It's because the cross had just eliminated any illusions. They were better than anyone else. Friends, the cross of Calvary should strip any illusions that you are better than anyone else. I don't care if you're a third generation Seventh-day Adventist. I don't care if you're living under a bridge. All of our sins killed Christ. I don't care if you got your degree from Penn State or the state pen. Hallelujah. Jesus died for every one of us. You see, friends, the, 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 you know what the cross stands for? The cross, is the, 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 the cross is the sign of the cross represents the letter I crossed out. You see, the cross has just cut through the disciples' eye. They're no longer asking for positions. They're no longer worried about recognition. They're no longer talking about what they have done. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And check this out, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. What made the difference in Peter's life? Friends, it's the only thing that will make a difference in our life. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you. How long? Forever. Now why would Jesus give us a helper forever if he expected us at some point to do it all on our own? According to this, we never have to stand without God in our life. The fact is, Jesus knew that we wouldn't be able to make it if we didn't have help, so he hence sends the Holy Spirit, our helper. Just the fact of the Holy Spirit's name is helper implies I need some serious help. Early in recovery, I, I, had, I had relapsed so many times before that I was afraid I was going to relapse again. And you know, you always hear this, I hit bottom, I hit bottom, I hit bottom. And I, I got worried because you know what, I was like, man, what if I haven't hit my bottom? You know, I thought it was some kind of magical bottom that you hit and it's just like, okay, you're done. And so I was worried that I hadn't hit my bottom. Man, my bottoms had bottoms, had bottoms, had bottoms. And I was so worried I wasn't done that I went up to my sponsor, Marvin, the guy with the tattoos from his toes to his head, and I asked him, look, Marvin, how do I know that I'm, I've hit my bottom? And he looks at me, he says, Richie, you, your bottom happens the moment you quit digging. The, the, the bottom happens the moment you quit digging. You see, friends, when I finally hit bottom, I found out that Jesus was the rock at the bottom of my barrel. God will not give up on Peter. God will not give up on you. Friends, this is the boundless love of God. Romans 5.2 says that through Jesus we have attained access by faith into his what? In which we what? 
We stand on the grace of Christ our King and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. The one who denied Jesus is now declaring Jesus. The one who was always falling apart is now standing tall. Check it out. He's talking to the people he denied Christ to. The same people he had fallen to, he now stands up to. The God he failed before, he now stands up for. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And one day, friends, when the devil says, Richie, you can't let him in heaven. I know everything that he's done. Look at all these times he's fallen. When they go to where my sin should be, my big list, and I got a big list. If it was to unroll, it would roll down, hit the floor, roll out the door, and follow me all the way back to Tennessee. But when they go to look for my sins, instead of seeing my failures and my failings and my falling, all they're going to see is the blood of Jesus Christ. God has heard my prayer for a rock. Stand up and by the grace of God, stay up. Homesick for Heaven. That's what the title of this program is all about. Angelando el cielo. I don't know about you, but I'm homesick, and this world is not my home. Living closely aligned to God by allowing His light, the Word, to eliminate our paths keeps us from living blind. The result is a godly vision that clear, gives clarity and focus to our days. Our words and actions match up. When others observe this, the impression is not necessarily of that of someone who knows everywhere where they're going, but of someone who clearly knows who they're following. Who are you following? I'm homesick for heaven. Let us pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the message that was delivered today. Thank you for the pastor, Halverson, for his message. I know it, it resonated in my heart and in my family. I pray that I can take it out into the world and let it shine. I thank you, Father, for the message that was delivered by all that were here. And I thank for every participant that was here, that they received a blessing. And that when they separate from here, that they take this message with them as they go out into the world. The devil is actively pursuing us. We do have a target on our backs. But we, knew, we know that we have a Savior, Amen. Jesus Christ who's going to watch over us and take us home to be with him in heaven. I also pray for the food that is prepared for us. I pray for the hands that prepared it. May it be a blessing to our lives. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. <laughs>